0: Hello and good evening. You're listening to 4th Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Galligo lands of the Aurora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and my quietly awesome producer tonight is Anthony Dockrell. Coming up on the weekend, the Liberal Party's Federal Council voted 2-1 to one to flog off the ABC Senior Liberals, including the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, have gone into damage control, saying privatisation of the national broadcaster will never happen. But is that a promise only as good as as long as Turnbull is in control? And have we reached that moment where the idea of selling off the ABC, like other national treasures before it, is actually in play? Michelle Guthrie, the broadcaster's boss, this week appeared at the Melbourne Press Club to make an impassioned speech for the ABC Mm -hmm. But was it enough to shift opinion about not just about the broadcaster, but her own performance as its head? To a much bigger picture, the latest global report into the state of digital news industry is out, and it reveals that trust in news is still a concern, especially for news via social media, um, and that messaging apps are increasingly the place where consumers get their news. Where is all this heading? And we'll even have time to talk about reporting on China. Helping me to dissect this fractured media world we live in, in the studio, Damien Cave, the Australian Bureau Chief for the New York Times and a former correspondent in Mexico and Central America and the Caribbean. Hola, Damien. Hello. Uh, Quentin Dempster, contributing editor of the New Daily, chair of the Walkley Foundation and a former host of ABC 730 in New South Wales, among many other things. Hello, Quentin. Hi, Peter. And on the line from Brisbane, I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Vogler, the hugely talented, Walkley-nominated journalist and state political editor for The Courier-Mail. Good day, Sarah.
1: Hi, how are
0: you? Oh, we're all good. And so, so to all the investors out there who brought shares in Qantas and Telstra and the like, it might be time to get your stockbroker on the line because the young liberals want to sell off the ABC. The future generation of conservative leadership thinks one way to do that is to float it on the stock market. It may sound all a bit far-fetched, but selling off the ABC has been overwhelmingly supported by the Liberal Party's own federal council. The room had 110 delegates in it, including a number of senior liberals, and not one person spoke out against the proposed sell-off. Since then, a number of senior Liberal MPs have, have spoken out against the idea. Malcolm Turnbull said it's, quote, it is a public broadcaster, it always has been and always will be. Which sounds pretty final, uh, even if it is a bit Old Testament, because Malcolm likes a bit of Old Testament, I'm sure. But the hounds are running. Labour wants to make an election issue, and that's surely the last thing the ABC will want. And on the ABC's Q&A the other night, uh liberal senator linda reynolds said a debate on selling off the abc was a valid debate to have so first up let's talk about the politics should we be worried about the abc being privatized or is this just a bit of overreach by some year young neocons seeking attention what do you think Sarah?
1: <laughs> i i definitely think it's a bit of overreach the worrying factor is that the motion got up the um Every year up here in Queensland, the young Libs tend to move this motion um, and there's a heated debate, but in the end, the Nats generally step in (laughs) because they like the ABC and the regions up here and they stop it. Whereas this time, it got up and that was quite interesting. And yeah, I think it's a bit of an own goal for the Libs because it's given Labor quite the platform. They were very quick to get on Twitter and put out comments saying, you know, this is the, the next thing that they're going to do. And, you know, a lot of people in the LNP up here were talking MediScare, which they still have nightmares about. So it was a it was an interesting move that it actually was voted up and overwhelmingly so.
0: Absolutely. And and how did it play out in, in Brisbane media? Did it get much of a run?
1: It, it did eventually, yeah. I think sort of it was... Not a lot of focus on the day that it happened, but definitely the follow it did. And I think that's probably because up here, we're just so used to these motions coming and going and never really getting anywhere. So. Yeah. So so what's yeah. interesting,
0: Quinton, in this one is, of course, that no one stood up and said, young Liberal, you know, go and get a shave.
2: Well, it's <laughs> it's been indicated that it's been an own goal by the Liberal Party to... Uh, and particularly about uh, two weeks ago, Bill Shorten got up at a matter of public interest uh, and said uh, that the, um, uh, the ABC uh, would be defended by the Labor Party. Um, and uh, uh, this is in, in response to the uh, indexation pause of funding of $83.7 million, which has to be confronted by the board. There's doubt about a $43 million of tied funding for regional... Uh, as well as the 254 million cut since uh, the Joe Hockey Abbott uh, budget in 2014. The, uh, a couple mm. of years ago, uh, I asked Joe Hockey about it uh, when he was treasurer and he said look we looked at privatizing the ABC but it's, we couldn't get anything for it it's got no <laughs> substantial it's negligible cash flow so when you look at Medibank private or other I- utilities that have been privatized they say well they have got a p- cash flow here let's get them off the it's public it's got book. a bit of land
0: that's about it isn't it it's
2: got property yeah. and a big uh, uh, and a recurrent staff expenditure and it's got radio stations and and uh, a spectrum on the on yes. on, on uh, radio and tv and it's got a, a substantial online presence, so it um, uh, you, they'd have to uh, repeal the ABC Act. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a creature of an Act of Parliament, and they would have to repeal the Act and uh, and get another piece of legislation through to do it. Yes, um, uh, but it's it you couldn't get, make a quit out of it. You couldn't uh, uh, get a, a apart from the property, you couldn't get much return
0: from. Well, it. That's an interesting point. And and so le- can we just look at this another way? Which uh, to bring you in, Damien. So there are plenty of countries in the world that have vibrant, diverse media sectors without having the massive presence of a national broadcaster sitting in the middle of it. So what do you think? Could it be that the ABC acts as a bit of a break on media diversity and plurality and competition?
3: Well, I think that's possible. I mean, what I first thought when I saw this was, gosh, this is just another example of how for conservatives all over the world, bashing media has no consequence. And then it just plays very well to the base. Everybody wins when you make the media the bad guy, if you're in the conservative camp. And so to me, it's even less about, well, is this a realistic option, as it is about telling people, hey, this media doesn't represent you, don't listen to them, hint hint, especially if they criticize us. And so I think that's a bigger part of it. But in terms of the broader media landscape, I I do think there's an argument to be made that, you know, a public broadcaster does have an impact overall on the media landscape. I mean, you know, when I first found out both the size of the ABC and the number of employees they had, I, I, I was a bit surprised, frankly, coming from the United States at just how big of a behemoth it is. But by the same token, you know, it's a very particular. Um, kind of journalism that they do uh, in a country that has, you know, a deep respect and love for the institution, as far as I can tell. And so I don't know that it hinders innovation um, so much as just fills a gap that might not otherwise be filled.
0: Well, that's, that's always been a debate that, of course, the Murdoch press has put out. And, 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 it, and it re- interestingly, recently, uh, Quintin, just to bring you back in here, um, uh, Greg Highwood, when he was giving evidence to the Senate inquiry, uh, made the point that the ABC, ABC spends taxpayers' money on search engine marketing through Google in direct competition with the likes of Fairfax and News and, and the New York Times and the Courier-Mail, for that, for, that reason, for that matter, So, who are actually trying to make a buck, whereas the ABC isn't. So is there a rationale for doing that, Quinton? I mean, shouldn't the ABC exist to address uh, you know, market failure? Um, uh, that and uh, its uh, legislated
2: obligation under the ABC Act uh, f- to be a comprehensive uh, broadcaster. I think the ABC spends about just over a million dollars on uh, ad, uh, ad enhancements through uh, Google. A small amount of money. That's a small
3: amount. Well, <laughs> uh,
2: but against, look, I, I'm now with the uh, Walkley Foundation, which is dealing with the, the fallout uh, of uh, content uh, creation and the redundancies and the, and the cutback of localism in uh, domestic media in Australia, desperately concerned about the future of Australian media. And I acknowledge the ABC's been too successful. It's right up the top in, in uh, ABC online, in, in news um, uh, up there with News Corporation and Fairfax. I just wish politically for its own survival it wasn't so successful. It was down about uh, four or five, still to be a mainstream influence for cohesive reasons in the Australian uh, political context and the way we deal with each other on this vast continent of ours. Uh, but uh, the, it... it uh, uh, it uses that money, they say, to enhance it, to, to tell people about the content that it's got and it's justified and it's negligible. They're going to argue that, uh, Peter, before the competitive neutrality inquiry, which yeah. is currently underway.
0: So, but what do you think? I mean, do, is there, I, I guess, you know, just to play this out, the last point on this point is, is, and Sarah can join in too, you know, uh, let's imagine Australia without the ABC, And let's imagine that there would be a a groundswell of new media organizations all trying to capture this market. I mean, would we be a better place for it, Quinton?
2: I think you should ask Sarah first. Well, (laughs) Sarah, what do
0: you think?
1: (laughs) That is a very...
0: Tough question to answer. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, there's no one wrong answer here, is there? I mean, I, look, the, your, the owner of your uh, newspaper and his... Uh, Our beloved Rupert. Uh, yeah, uh, Rupert. And his father, in fact, uh, has for many, many years said that essentially the ABC should be about market failure. It should fill in the gaps, in other words, and it should leave commercial radio, commercial TV, and now commercial online to make money. And and you know, I, there, there'll be a lot of people in this country, and obviously not all of them are young liberals, would kind of have some sympathy for that. But the question I think, from, as from us as journalists, is if you took the ABC out the equation, would the would our audiences be better or worse served? I think that's the central question, Sarah. Well, that
1: that that is the, that is the question really, and I don't know if um, it would make much difference because. You have to pay. Now, we have paywalls and the um, Mm -hmm. news-limited papers because we we need them to survive financially. Um, And so I think if people are searching for something and they don't want to pay, they'll just find another way to get their news for free. Um, And I think the ABC just has such... Um, so much trust um, in the community. And so they when they look at that website, they're looking at something that they know um, and they trust and they expect to get the news that they might not get on um, the Courier mouse website, you know, or, or on news.com um, or the SMH. So I'm not necessarily sure that if, if okay. the ABC walked away from online, it would make that much right. difference. Well, Obviously it will, but not...
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to throw to Damien and Quentin just that. So I, this, this this really goes to another really big debate, which is you know uh, if journalism is worth something, we should be paying for it, right? And and you know I have a subscription to the NYT. Yes, thank you. Uh, I, yes, <laughs> I, I'll give you my check when we leave the studio, and uh, you know I'd happily pay for the ABC because I think it does great things, and I actually have a subscription to a, nu- a numerous News Limited. You know maybe I'm an odd person, but. If journalism is a service, if it's worth something, then shouldn't we be encouraging people to pay for it anyway?
3: Well, absolutely. I mean, but I, I also think this is a really interesting time to try and throw the ABC to a private market that's really having a hard time supporting journalism in all kinds of different ways. Well, that's true. Well uh, And so, I mean, it's really hard for anyone to survive in this market. And so to suddenly say like, okay, great, this is the time to throw the public broadcaster out to the wolves is a pretty interesting decision, especially for a government that has no problem financing arts and culture to a great degree, spending money on Catholic schools, doing a whole bunch of other things. And so it's interesting that the government has decided, well, 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 we don't necessarily, at least these people who are proposing it, we don't necessarily want journalism to get any government money um, because, oh, wait, they might question us and what we do. All these other things are a bit safer. So, you know, I'm a skeptical journalist in this regard, and and, and I do think that while there are plenty of people who are paying for journalism, you know, our audience is growing in, in Australia and elsewhere, I do think that there are questions and limits to what people are able or want to do and to simply sort of throw people or throw a giant successful broadcaster out now and say, OK, go make money, is a really difficult challenge. Yeah. Uh,
2: the removal of the ABC would be devastating for a country like Australia. Uh, now with 24 million people, multicultural, we've got SBS too, it should be uh, thrown into the equation mm. too, because multilingual services provided on SBS are vital for all the the immigrant population for, to hear uh, langu- their own languages and feel included. Uh, it's, a, it's another national cohesion
0: thing. Okay, so can I stick with you, though, Quinn? Can we get back to the politics? Uh, well, the... Is this basically the Libs setting up you know, a Biffo, for for the sake of playing to the base. I mean, is this sort of staving off the one nations of the world, or what's going well, on? Well,
2: they really needed Nick Griner, the chairman and the president of the uh, the Liberal Party, to say, uh, "I don't want. I want to hear other voices, and I don't want this motion to get up because it, uh, in all expediency, you're handing a free kick." Uh, to the, the the center ground of uh, australian politics and you're they 've galvanized <laughs> they have galvanized the support system for the ABC for the first time in in forever I think uh, Anthony Green, the uh from the ABC, will tell us the ABC is now the future of the ABC is now major. Federal election issue. Whenever Malcolm calls mm. election, mm. and it's going to be argued because no one will believe the reassurances given by Malcolm and uh, and Mitch Fifield, the the communications minister. the The key point here is that. Uh, 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 The ABC does more than news and current affairs. It's always contentious on that. I just want to make this point. It does drama. It does documentary. It does arts. It does religion. It does science. It does education. It does all these other things. It has a bridge to audiences through radio, absolutely vital in regional uh, communities, uh, uh, the disabled communities everywhere. So if it was removed uh, from its comprehensive coverage, as well as all its bridges to audience across oh. online radio and television, uh, it would be devastating for the cohesion of this polity, which has, uh, I think, uh, with all our faults, has been, uh, been pretty good.
0: Yeah, okay. With all our faults, I, I love that moment. David, I mean, look,
3: the the yeah. other factor I was going to say, too, is, you know, in the United States, there's uh, a large culture of philanthropy for oh. culture and journalism that just doesn't exist here. Good point. And so there's not we're, a safety. We're working on that, Damien. <laughs> there's <laughs> a
0: move to try
3: to. There there is I am but, aware of that. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's I hope it. you succeed.
0: Okay, let's, just, let's just quickly stay on the ABC for a couple more questions, because the boss, Michelle Guthrie, uh, waded in. Um, it was a set piece at the Melbourne Press Club. Uh, in which she basically said that the the ABC would no longer be a punching bag for its enemies, uh, which was strong stuff and very much welcomed by many of her journalists who are feeling very punched up, Uh, and and remembering also that uh, Guthrie is also the ABC's editor-in-chief. So she talked about um, the fact that the ABC spends 92% of its budget on content and helps sustain in the broader economy about 6,000 jobs. She also denied that the broadcaster is a lefty-loving uh, Sarah, well, I, mean, I know I'm giving you all the great questions tonight. So what do you think about Guthrie's speech? Do you think it worked uh, both internally and externally? Because, uh, you know, all fair to her, uh, a lot of people say she's not as good as managing the politics as her predecessor, Mark Scott.
1: What do you think? Yeah, I, I tend to agree that she has not been as good, um, and I think that she needed to be quite strong, and she was. Um, I was a little disappointed that she, with her sort of, I guess, her comment on, well, Lee House has more followers than the Oz has readers, and I understand why she said it, but I was just like, no, no, don't do that. Don't get down in the gutter. (laughs) Because the Oz will get you. (laughs) I was just like, oh. Um, But, I, yeah, I think she needed to be strong, and and she was. I mean, the ABC has been fighting back. You know, they have, um, interestingly, I think, two former Oz journos who do their sort of – media responses to articles
0: now. <laughs> oh, one of them's just left, I think. Nick Lees oh, no, ah, has just yeah,
1: nah, yeah. left. but um, So they, they have been fighting back a little bit, but yeah, yeah. I think she's been missing in action. We'll,
0: we'll, we'll go on to one of the couple of things she said in a minute, but Gwyneth, uh, one of the things that is often said about her is that you know, she she has made these sort of speeches before, and they're you know they're well well received and well you know well researched and what have you. But there's no follow through. It drops in the pond, the ripples go out, and then meanwhile the next day, the libs and, and its friends in the media pile in. So do you what do, how do you assess her as if you like a tactician?
2: Um, she hasn't been a very good communicator. I must, everybody wants Michelle Guthrie to be a success. There are a lot of ABC people said to, said to me, knowing I'm an ABC or public broadcasting advocate, uh, uh, she's a Murdoch plant. I, I, I thought about that for two seconds. She's not a Murdoch plant. She worked for Rupert or, uh, or James Murdoch um, uh, many years ago. She was hired, I think, because of her Google experience <laughs> uh, for the <laughs> Make the ABC Survive the Digital uh, Revolution. And... Uh, and, uh, uh, but she's, she's had to improve her communication skills, and uh, she had a few bad performances at the Senate estimates, which uh, haven't gone down very well. So she's having to work very hard to re establish her credibility. As I said, everybody wanted Michelle Guthrie to be a success as managing director of the ABC. We still do. and um, But is she? Uh, uh, it's a work in progress. I think a is work the, in progress. there's okay. a fair answer to
0: that. All right. One of her arguments is the ABC is an insurance policy to protect Australia in our interests from what you know from the fangs, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google's. You know, the fear being the fangs will you know basically eat everything up. So are we having the wrong debate in this country? Really, uh, should we be thinking about how we can protect local media companies from what's really hurting them? What do you think?
3: I, I mean, well, ironically, I actually think that Michelle Guthrie's doing a lot internally at the ABC that probably doesn't get noticed. I mean, um, I think there's a big effort by her and Gavin Morris to really transform how the institution works that I suspect takes up a lot of her time that might have otherwise been spent on politics. Um, I think that they do have their eye on the ball. I think that they understand that the media landscape has radically changed. And I do sometimes think that the conversation about her relationship to parliament is a bit, well, just less fully thought out than it could be. I mean, this is this is one of the epic moments of media transformation in history that we're all living through. Mm-hmm. And there's really no denying that it's something that the entire public sphere needs to think about, from politicians to the public to every media organization. And so, you know, the ups and downs of politics in Canberra, you know, 20 or 30 years from now, are not going to be the focus. It's going to be, did ABC did the ABC really change how it works, assuming it's still around and hasn't been sold off by then? Um, and I think that's going to be the case for all of us who work in journalism. Absolutely. Um, do
0: you do you think then she's doing an OK job? It's just that she's not maybe got a good enough PR of the department, I know.
3: Well, I agree that it's a work in progress. I, I mean, I hear about a fair amount of change internally. I've had conversations with them about how The New York Times has worked its digital transformation. So I know they're thinking about this quite a bit. But I don't think they're anywhere near done yet. And I think they still have a, a really uphill battle to fight in terms of institutionally how they really change and, and change what they want to do.
0: No, that is the big one, isn't it? I mean, the cultural change of the ABC. And you would, you know, you were in there for a long, long time. Uh, How easy or how difficult is cultural change in the ABC? It's, It's not hard at all if with good leadership. Um, and,
2: How uh, could
3: it not be hard? It's an enormous institution well, that's done things one well, way for decades. Well, when you decades. get
2: the sack, it's hard. But uh, when they have to make people redundant and they think, well, these people aren't up to digital scratch, we'll get rid of them, uh, they they skew old, which is what Mark Scott said. You know, <laughs> we've got to get the bulk of the audiences. and The, the future is that people will get... Uh, access to all their media on devices on on smartphones. Oh, oh, oh. look at the graph we're about to discuss it. it's just come up yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, that's the that's the future of uh, access to media uh, so uh, I think, um, and, and the, the other argument about uh, uh, paywalls, we really need to educate the Australian public about, yes, you do have to pay for, for, uh, for quality journalism, but at the same time, you've got a viable and mainstream public broadcaster uh, in the news space providing all the good things that it does. And, of course, we are paying for the ABC. And you are paying for it in 1987 dollar terms, four cents a day. It's gone down. (laughs) It's gone down. Okay.
0: You're listening to The Fourth Estate, where journalists talk about journalism. And I'm Peter Frey. And joining me this week are Damien Kay from The New York Times, Quentin Dempster from The New Daily, The Walkley's, and formerly of The ABC, and Sarah Vogler from The Courier Mail in Brisbane. Um, Let's go to the bigger picture. The 2018 digital news report from the Reuters Institute at Oxford University has been released, and it makes some very interesting reading. I suggest that you go and look it up. Use Google to look it up. The report has surveyed 76,000 news consumers in 37 countries, including Australia. It, It paints a picture where the transition to digital news is Kind of almost complete in a way. Eighty-two percent of Australians, news consumers, sorry, now get are now getting their news online. And while fifty-two percent are now using social media to access news, only twenty-four percent of us trust the news from social media. It's a very interesting dynamic. Trust in the news overall is up a little bit at fifty percent, which place in Australia, which places Australia eleventh out of thirty-seven countries surveys. So we keep hearing this word trust a lot. Uh, And it it does seem to be at the heart of many debates, not just in journalism. It's fair to say a lot of institutions are talking about trust at the moment. So how should we, you think, Damien, uh, interpret this kind of debate about trust, that the general level of trust is a little bit up, but it's still under contention, and especially in contention about getting our news through social media? What do you think?
3: Well, I don't know. I mean, I do think that journalists still have a job to do in terms of improving trust with their audience. Uh, I think You know, many of us have tried to be more transparent in describing sort of how we do and what we do, which I think is an effort to build trust. You know, at The New York Times, we work much much more closely with our audience than we ever did before. We do a lot more listening than we ever did before. And these are all efforts to build trust, and lots of other media organizations are doing the same. But by the same token, there's a lot of things that are outside of our control that undermine trust. And I think this report clearly shows that the way social media works, the lack of transparency for Facebook and for other social media algorithms that don't really tell readers how and why they get what they get, uh, I think is a real problem. I think it undermines trust in journalism. I think it undermines trust in democracy. And I think they should be held accountable and held responsible. for. So
0: here's the dilemma, of course, is that a lot of our uh, journalism is finds its way to our audiences through social media.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you know, within the New York Times, it's often described as a frenemy, and I think that that's still true. It's a friend and an enemy at the same time. And I think we're constantly trying to figure out how to make sure that it does as much as it can for us while also not undermining what we do as much as possible. But the fact of the matter is that a lot more control over distribution has passed beyond our hands.
0: Yeah. And that, and there is no one easy answer to that, Quinton. What do you? you I mean, the New Daily, for instance, is a creature of online. Uh, it has a bespoke audience, of course, but it still needs social media to get its message across, right? Facebook,
2: absolutely yeah. vital. And uh, if yeah. somehow you fall down the <laughs> down the algorithm uh, uh, suspiciously, or uh, how, how that happens, uh, uh, your audience can be wiped away. So, so uh, how do you?
0: Yeah. So tell me about trust. I mean, how do you? What do you think the what needs to happen for audiences to trust us well more?
2: media literacy is a big issue, and everybody talks about it now uh in in uh, this country in the United states, and uh we have to we have to keep exploring the issue and exposing it, uh, particularly uh, after Cambridge Analytica and the vulnerability of Facebook on its credibility and its manipulations. Uh, And uh, the the overwhelming power of Google as a search engine, it's uh, the barriers to entry in search, in in, uh, browsing searches, are huge, and Mm. very few people, I think Bing, how many others are there, they've got about 5% of of the search. So Google owns the world now, and uh, we have to interrogate Google about its practices so that people who are reliant... Uh, particularly local content creators are reliant on Google get a fair go, yep. and this is why the ACCC First World First Inquiry, the Australian Competition Con- Consumer Commission inquiry, which have got a report interim by the end of this year and uh, fully by uh, next year, are going to, and they've got power, coercive power, to find out from Google all its methodologies. Uh, that will be so important to informing all of us about uh, uh, any uh, uh,
0: malign manipulations or distortions of market power. Absolutely. well talking about uh let's 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 Sarah, i'm going I'm going offer you a nice question now because one of the cheery things out of that uh, digital news report was that uh the people are increasingly willing to pay for news online so subscriptions for online news now sitting at about twenty percent up about seven and still not a massive number but it that places Australia about number five of the thirty seven countries um surveyed so this is great news um and what do you draw from that? That people, you know, go, gee, I really love that Sarah Vogler's stuff. I'm willing to pay for it, right?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely is positive. Um, I think that we just needed time. And I think consumers needed time to understand that, you, you know, that it, it's not produced for free, so that mm. there is a cost involved, Um And, you know, I I know we're seeing really positive signs at the moment with subscriptions, keeping people subscribed as well. You know, uh, the frustration at not being able to click through unless you pay, usually they will drop off, whereas now they're more willing to stay because they're liking what they're reading. And, you know, um, you yourself mentioned how many subscriptions you have. I think that's happening a lot now. A lot of people are subscribing to different outlets, getting their news from different places. So it's definitely good. It's just got such a long way to go, but it's yeah. so positive to know that people are willing to do that. I mean, I also am a little sad because I, I'm i just dreading the day we don't have an actual physical newspaper to flick through. Um,
3: <laughs> well, you never, know.
0: you never know. It may not happen in your lifetime.
1: No, I hope not. Oh, <laughs> oh, I
3: don't know about that. Oh, oh. know. Grumble, grumble. We've still got uh, books. We've still got uh, radio. We've still got well, books. New <laughs> technology doesn't replace it often. Just
0: do you? Do you, But alongside. putting a slight historical spin on this, because uh, and we don't need to dwell on this too much. But do you agree, then, Sarah, that one of the big mistakes was giving away the content? You know, at the beginning of the is it in the internet revolution ten years or so ago?
1: I think so. Yes. Um. I think we just didn't understand. We didn't understand online. We didn't.
0: We didn't you know, value our content.
1: No, and also, like, even today, I think, you know, in newspapers, it, there's still a lot of journals who um, struggle to think digital first, you know, if I've got a good story, I want to hold that for the newspaper, why would I put that out now? Like, if that thinking is taking such a long time, the culture to change, you know, people criticize the ABC for cultural change taking too long, well, it, that is, you know, in the in the print media, we are still struggling to get there, and I think right from the very beginning, we probably made... Some pretty horrific mistakes, and course, that, that
3: was one of them. Of course, yeah. this
0: goes to the broad question of how you pay for journalism. And another thing the report comes up with is that the use of ad blockers is very much on the rise, now sitting around about 30%. Uh, so that, you know, advertising obviously is still one of the major revenues for journalism. So, Clinton, you're involved with the New Daily, and that has unearthed a new way of funding journalism through the uh, super funds. So where else can we find the dough to do what we do. Um, with my other hat on, the Walkley Foundation, we're involved in
2: in um, uh, trying to raise the public consciousness of public interest, the value to Australians of public interest journalism and with the implied uh, um, uh, motive of uh, we're going to have to pay for it um, and support the paywall providers. Um, the the, uh, the New Daily is, uh, with that hat on, the New Daily is, under, their costs are underwritten uh, for a number of years by the industry super funds uh, to contribute to uh, Australian public interest journalism. Uh, how long that lasts, I don't know. Uh, they're trying to make their money from uh, click advertising, but they're re- they're providing responsible, we hope responsible, ethical journalism and analysis for all that all the way through. But they're trying to uh, exist and survive as a as a an advertiser supported uh, website uh, available online. So um, uh, the the rec- the need to reeducate Australians about mm. paying, being prepared to pay. And there are views uh, that will come out of the A Triple C inquiry about tax deductibility for media subscriptions. Yes, uh, and well,
0: the, the Senate inquiry was also already proposed, right? Yes, yes, yeah.
2: But so that's on that's on whether that can come up, uh, or whether there be some impost on Google and Facebook and the and the big providers uh, and the big uh, aggregators to uh, have some sort of uh, a Google tax. Uh, well, not a. T- it's hard to sell taxes, Peter. So uh, some method of uh, I'm sure ma- you could making them contribute to yeah. local content. No, it's,
0: it's very interesting because uh, the other fear that I have, and you know, I'm interested in your views here, Damien, is that I think there's a sub, There's always been a subset, if you like, of society who's prepared to, you know, who love news and prepared understand its value, prepared to pay for it. The real central question is how many of those people right. exist. And we still really don't know the answer to that. Well, the New York Times is... Yeah, well, the no, I, they've gone nuts, but they have Trump. You've got the Trump bump, right?
3: Yes. I mean, I think that that's know. clearly well, a factor, what's your, but... what's
2: your subscriber income? It's over a billion, isn't it? It's, yeah, I, I yeah. believe it is, actually. Um, but very it's,
3: wealthy, the Americans. Yeah. Very wealthy. <laughs> and still struggling. Tell my editors that. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I actually <laughs> think one of the things that I think that the New York Times has been really smart about trying to do is thinking not about newspapers or even online, but thinking about the experience of good journalism. And so, you know, we've expanded into The Daily with podcasts, which does very well and brings in a bunch of money. This year, we're moving further into television, whether it's journalistic television or scripted television. You know, I think that The New York Times has become even more agnostic about not just the platform, but about... Um, you know, how we show what we do. And yeah. I think that's to the, the benefit of you know. And yeah. I think it is. It's about storytelling. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about doing great work. Mm. And then you expand yourself beyond that audience of news junkies to people who just care about the world and are interested and curious and want to understand mm. better. But
2: Damien, we're talking about a, a a loyal subscriber base, which gives you viability, aren't we?
3: It does. It and does. You'll still
2: flog some ads on the side, but it will never re, uh, replicate the huge income from advertising that was once available.
3: But but. Similar to, to advertising, there are ups and downs with this, right? You, know, you were talking about retention. You know, we don't know how long the Trump bump, if to what extent that is what it is, will last. Is this a sustainable, ongoing, is this the size of our audience forever? I reckon, you'll make, it growth... to, I reckon you'll make it to the midterms. Yeah, <laughs> I suspect so too. <laughs> but but the, the, you know, it is a legitimate question. I mean the other thing that I think is really interesting that's happening across media is that as you become a subscriber model – Though they become your employers to some degree, yes. And so, you know, the pressure that comes in when Absolutely. you're completely reliant on subscribers changes the dynamic. Absolutely, the audience is it rules,
0: right? And they expect yep. and demand to rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how, Sarah, just on that point, how do you feel about the audience?
3: Be careful with this
0: one. Yeah, be careful with this. But, I mean, seriously, I mean… We we, love our audience. We we spent so much time not really having to care about audiences. I'm not saying we didn't, but we didn't have to is my point. And then, uh, you know, and Damon's making a very good point here that, you know, if they're subscribers, they actually have a relationship with you which is different. They're like the relationship between, say, a doctor and his or her client. You know, it's a different type of relationship. They expect value for money. They expect you to be responsive. Uh, and they expect to be listened to more than, more above everything else.
3: And they may not fully understand what we do either. <laughs> and they will
0: never clue what we do, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's it. Well, I think, um, I mean, you know, as a political reporter, um, not everything I write is uh, sexy, so it's not always going to get the most clicks. <laughs> so sometimes like, it can be a bit frustrating, but I think it, it's also quite a luxury to actually know what people are interested in and um, to know what... Mm-hmm what drives people to not just to click but also to subscribe. Um, And, you know, politics is doing not so badly on our website now, so that's good. (laughs) Well
0: well done, you. Uh, You
1: know, know, sometimes Kim Kardashian is still, you know, number one, two, and three in the top ten. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a positive. Um, I just worry sometimes that, you know, I just don't want us to ignore... The story that's important, but yeah. might not. No, no, have to very, very,
2: very, 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 very might point. be the end of uh, Journal of Record journalism because yeah. there are multiple yeah. websites. The government is a broadcaster and a publisher. All of it. any any corporations are broadcaster and publisher of their own material, mm. uh, and you can anybody can the search engine changes the nature of Journal of Record, and yes, hopefully that yes. will help to redefine the extra added skills that are required for uh, public interest journalism. Well, I'm
0: very much looking forward to coming back to this, uh, this very discussion with these very same people in about five years' time. And, uh, and let's move on to our uh, final subject for the evening. You're listening to um, The Fourth Estate. Um, I'm Peter Frey. The producer tonight is Anthony Dockrell. And uh, joining me in the studio, we have Quinton Dempster and Damien Kay from the New York Times and on the line from Brisbane, Sarah Vogler. So we at The Fourth Estate have been talking for quite some time now about the relationship between Australia and China and how that is iterated in the press. The Prime Minister, uh, Malcolm Turnbull, um, speaking at the Australia-Chinese Business Council, has said this week that it's, quote, it's important not to be distracted by media and political commentary, which is often des- designed to highlight difference. Ooh, shock, uh, designed to highlight difference, friction, or possibly even accentuate friction. Ooh. All this comes on the back of a group of Australian journalists being refused visas to China for a fact-finding mission and a whole heap of other debates. So, the Prime Minister, does he have a point that Australian media has been talking down the sort of, or talking up the, the friction in the Chinese-Australian relationship? What do you think, Sarah?
1: Um, I hate this argument. um, (laughs) Okay. Why do you
0: hate it? Tell us why you hate it.
1: I just get sick of um, politicians blaming the media for Mm. things. Um, You know, the the government needs to probably have a look at the language it's been using, particularly with um, the foreign donor bill. um, And the uh, back and forth when uh, Sam Bestiari was there with the controversy over his donations and who was paying his legal bills and things like that. I think, um, you know, for the journalists to be able to write these stories, they need to have something to write about. Um, Maybe I think they need to watch what they're saying as opposed to blaming us for reporting on Yeah, well, it does seem...
0: uh, Yeah, and I mean, it does seem very... Sort of reductive, shall we say, for the prime minister to stick the stick one in the eye of the media when what's been going on in Canberra. I, I think he's uh, now sensitive
2: to the overreach, maybe in the in the China debate. Uh, James Mattis, the U.S. Secretary of Defense, has de- de- declared that uh, Russia and China are now greater threats to uh, uh, the world and the United interests of in the United States than uh, and terrorism. And we're part of the Five Eyes of, uh, of allies. We're military allies in, mm. with, the Amer- with our great friends, the Americans. Uh, since the war, since the Second World War, and um, the security agencies have ASIO has uh, uh, said in no uncertain terms mm. that uh, the hegemony hegemonic tactics of the Chinese uh, economically, militarily are uh, invasive now, and that's why there's that been that requirement. So uh, Malcolm's just gone a bit over that uh, 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 trying to uh, get a bit of more nuance back into it because he thinks the government's damaged its relationship with China. And it's got to start to hose things down. It's got to bridge build back to mm, back to China. Mm. And why not
0: sort of blame the media for well, getting it wrong again?
2: Another well, punching bag. Uh, yes. We play our part.
0: Well, yeah. So, Damien, on this point, I mean, you're you're in an interesting position. You're relatively, you know, newcomer to this this fair land. Well, second time around, I know. But um, and so you observe this sort of relationship. <laughs> you know, the U.S., China, and Australia. Austra- Australia very much in the middle. Do you think the or do you think Australian journalism is kind of hitting the right note in this one? I mean, that's a very broad question, I appreciate, but is, what do you, what
3: do you it think? It is a broad question. I mean, I, I, some of the coverage I see, I think, you know, does hit the right notes, and I think it reflects conversations that are happening, frankly, between these journalists and Malcolm Turnbull's administration. I mean, there are a lot of people in his administration who talk to many of us and are arguing that this is a very big deal that we should all be paying a lot of attention to. So he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth by criticizing us, but... By the same That's token, our uh, I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm shocked. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We're all shocked. Shocked that. But but I I do also think that what what I often notice is that. It's often very one note, both yeah. from the government and from the media. I don't find that a lot of it is quite as nuanced as it could be. Yep. Um, you know, George Megalogen had a piece in the opinion section for us in the past week saying, you know, well, where is the Australian government's efforts at inclusion, of, for example, of the Chinese-Australian community? At what point do Australia's political parties start to look like the country itself? And, you know, Ooh. if the Turnbull administration was actually talking not just about security in China, and not just about business in China, but actually talking about how this country is being changed and has been changed over decades through immigration and efforts at inclusion, it might be a very different conversation. So overall, I think that the tone has been set by the government and that a lot of journalists are following these security sources all the way down the path that they want to go to. I mean, you know, I covered the war in Iraq. Um, I get a little more skeptical of security sources, frankly. Um, I've seen this degree of fear and alarmism before. Um, And what's interesting is, you know, this week there was the Lowy Institute poll that came out that said, you know, most Australians do not see Chinese interference in politics as a major threat. And so... Neither the media nor the government's efforts to kind of make this the primary issue seems to be resonating.
0: I think there was something out today saying that uh, the Australians trust Xi Jinping more than they'd trust your president. That's quite possible. Yeah. And that's, I mean,
3: that's, a, that's an issue and a question for the entire world at this point, too. I mean, uh, I think sure, the world's sure. democracies are being challenged um, and seen as less of a model than they could be. And yes. here you have China being very efficient and getting things done and, frankly, rising, raising more people out of poverty than anyone ever thought possible. and. You know that's a challenge to to democracies that are messy and often divided. Yes,
0: indeed. Well, democracy. Yeah. Well, that's about it for uh, this week. I would very much like to thank uh, three wonderful guests, Sarah Vogler. uh, Thank you so much for spending time with us in Brisbane.
1: Thank you. That was great.
0: And we'll do it all again Uh, in the studio, Quinton Dempster. Thank you, Peter. Well, thank you, and and Damien Kay from the New York Times. Thank you so much. Thank you, my pleasure. But before I leave, I'd like to make a couple of points. One is, it is still possible to make a taxable tax deduction <laughs> to, to Ser, <laughs> uh, and uh, it is possible to do so before the uh, before the end of the financial year, the end of the month. And I'd also like to, in, pa- in passing, uh, make mention of the loss of two fantastic journalists in the last uh, week. Um, I'd like to pay my respects to. The passing of Deborah Cameron, uh, ex of the City Morning Herald and the ABC, and Ben Hills, uh, uh, a a wonderful investigative journalist, um, both of whom are going to be sadly missed. Um, You've been listening to The Fourth Estate. Uh, My name is Peter Frey. and Make sure you can catch us up on the podcast. And we'll be back very soon. Thanks for coming. Bye.